0: Podcast every week, I'll share leadership thoughts, books I'm reading, or tools I'm using to teach leadership skills. I believe everyone has influence. Every family, school, church, city, country is determined by its capacity for effective leadership. So let's jump in. Welcome to the Leadership Podcast. Glad you're with me today. I want to talk about in the next few sessions. Of our podcast, The Power of Conversation. So many of us, our lives, uh, trajectories, I'd say all of us, are determined by our ability to have productive conversations. And crucial life-altering conversations don't simply take place between prime ministers and presidents. They happen around kitchen tables and offices, at coffee shops and restaurants. Think of the the conversations you've had, how to how you ended a relationship, talking to a coworker who is offensive. Asking a friend to repay a loan, giving the boss feedback on her behavior, critiquing a colleague's work, asking a roommate to move out, resolving visitation issues or custody issues with an ex spouse, discussing sexual issues with anyone at any time, confronting a friend or loved one about substance abuse, giving an unfavorable performance review, asking in laws to quit interfering, talking to a friend or coworker about their personal hygiene problems those are just a few of the conversations that can be so difficult and that's understandable but what makes for a constructive conversation well we've been thinking a lot about this and uh I've been doing a lot of speaking on this issue in the last few months and so it's right on the front of my mind that I want to share with you as I said in these next few sessions of our leadership podcast what makes the art of crucial conversation constructive what what makes for a crucial conversation period um, Patterson and Grenny write about this Joe Grenny and they talk about the fact that a conversation is crucial whenever opinions differ whenever emotions run strong, and whenever stakes are high. Those are the elements of crucial conversations that really determine the quality of your life. And you, especially as a leader, you are not going to get around crucial conversations. You can try to avoid them. You can face them and handle them poorly, or you can face them and learn the art of handling them well. And the interesting thing about this is, be, is the fact that when conversations move from casual conversations to crucial, emotions get involved, and emotions are often the very elements that keep us from performing our best. We are designed in many ways for fight or flight. And when we're under pressure, our adrenaline spikes, our brain becomes flooded, and we lose our ability to think clearly and to think rationally. And we become stumped, we become challenged, and we start acting in very self-defeating ways. At the heart of almost all chronic problems in our organizations and teams, our relationships and families, are these crucial conversations pivot points. We either conversations we're having and not doing well or we're not having at all. So many studies on this show that companies with employees who are skilled at crucial conversations actually respond five times faster to financial downturns and they make budget adjustments more intelligently. Companies that are adept at crucial conversations are two thirds more likely to avoid injury and death due to unsafe conditions. People will speak up. And save over $15,000 and an eight hour work day for every crucial conversation employees hold rather than avoid. Crucial conversation companies substantially increase trust and reduce transaction costs in virtual work teams. And those who can't handle their crucial conversations suffer in. In multiple different ways, backstabbing, gossip, undermining, passive aggression, et cetera. And they're almost as three times more often happening in virtual teams than in co located teams. So you can see the spreading of dysfunction that happens in an organization because we either avoid crucial conversations or we do them poorly. And the productivity in any of our teams is not about policies, processes, structures, and systems. The real problems are never the processes, systems, or structures. It is employee behavior. And the real issue with employee behavior is not about implementing new processes, but in getting people to hold conversations that are constructive. And this requires skill development. And uh, I want to talk through this in the next few weeks. Howard Markman examined couples who were in the throes of of heated discussions, and he learned that people fall into three categories. Those who digress into threats and name-calling, those who revert to silent fuming, and those who speak openly, honestly, and effectively. Now, let me stop there because your family of origin is what you will default to when it comes to conversations that are crucial if you don't think through a new strategy and skill development and mine was number two we reverted to silent fuming that's that was our family my family of origins way to handle crucial conversation and markman and his associates are able to predict with nearly 90% accuracy the divorces that occur, and they found the critical ingredient of those who don't is effective, crucial conversation skills. And so this, in in a span of 10 minutes, Markman said, they can see by way of how a conversation is going. Is it truthful? Is it also respectful? And that pretty much determines the future of the relationship. Now, many of us think, we hear that and we think, well, we got to choose between being honest and being effective, and that's not true. Silence kills. It literally kills because it affects your immune system and instigates life-threatening diseases, but silence also fails. People who are effective and influential are good at crucial conversations. And so they understand that there is not a binary choice between being honest and being effective. Joe Grinney talks about, true story, a a gentleman named Kevin, very influential as a vice president in his company, very effective. And he said, Kevin doesn't seem to do anything remarkable. He looks like every other VP, answers his phone, talks to his direct reports, usually Pleasant. And he asked the question, was he just popular? Well, he said, if you followed him into a meeting, you you would get your answer. Because you go with him into a meeting and you realize that he and his peers and bosses are deciding on a new location for their offices. And the first two executives present their arguments for their top choices. And as expected, their points were greeted by penetrating questions from the team. No vague claim goes unclarified. No unsupported reasoning unquestioned. Then the CEO, Chris, pitches his preference, one that was both unpopular and potentially disastrous. But when people try to disagree or push back on Chris, he responds poorly. Since he's the big boss, he doesn't have to browbeat people to get his way. Instead, he becomes defensive and people know they better back down. He raises an eyebrow. He raises his finger. Then he raises his voice just a little bit so as to be socially acceptable, but yet still threatening. And it isn't long before people have stopped questioning him. Chris, the boss's inadequate proposal has been quietly accepted. Almost. Because Joe Grinney said that's when Kevin speaks up. And his words are simple. Hey, Chris, can I check something with with you? And the reaction in the room is stunning. Everyone stops breathing for a moment. But Kevin tactfully ignores the apparent terror of his colleagues. He plunges ahead. where angels dare to trod. And in the next few minutes, he essentially tells the CEO, Chris, that Chris is violating his own decision-making guidelines. He tells him he is subtly using his power to move the new offices to his hometown. And when he finishes the last few minutes of this delicate exchange, Chris is quiet for a moment, and then he nods his head. He says, Kevin, you're absolutely right. I've been trying to force my opinion on you. Let's back up. Let's try again. And... Joe Grinney says that's the definition of a crucial conversation. Kevin played no games. He didn't resort to silence like his colleagues. He didn't try to force his argument on others. Somehow he managed to achieve absolute candor, but he did so in a way that showed respect for Chris. And it was a remarkable thing to watch. Notice he asked a question. And as a result, the team chose a much more reasonable location. Kevin's boss appreciated his caring, and direct approach. And when Kevin was done, one of his peers said, did you see that? If you want to know how Kevin gets things done around here, watch what he just did. And it doesn't always turn out that way. However, Kevin's contribution was spot on because it is at the heart of a crucial, constructive conversation. His great contribution was not some brilliant insight. He just believed that he didn't have to make a choice between two bad alternatives. Option number one, speak up and turn the most powerful person in the company into his sworn enemy. Or option two, suffer in silence and make a bad decision that might really, if not ruin the company, then harm it. And the mistake most of us make in crucial conversations is we believe we have to choose between telling the truth and keeping a friend. However, when it comes to risky, controversial, and emotional conversations, skilled people find a way to get all relevant information from themselves and others out into the open. And here's what I want to give you today. I want you to think of your kitchen table with a, a, a model of a swimming pool in the middle of the kitchen table. Now, the fact that we are needing to have this conversation around the kitchen table or around the boardroom table, around the meeting room table, around the coffee shop table, means that you and I don't share the same pool, right? I have my pool, you have your pool. Our viewpoints and opinions differ. But people who are skilled at dialogue do their best to make it safe for everyone to add their meaning to the shared pool in the middle of the table. And Joe Granny puts it this way, the pool of shared meaning is the birthplace of synergy. So you have to see that I bring my own pool of meaning and thought and opinion and emotion. But, but in order for this to be constructive, we have to put that pool in the middle of the table. And we have to embrace that ideas that at first glance appear controversial, wrong, or maybe at odds with our own beliefs are, we bring them openly into that shared pool. And we both do our best to ensure that all ideas find their way out into the open. And here's what happens. As the pool of shared meaning grows, it helps people in two ways. Number one, as people are exposed to more accurate and relevant information, they make better choices. And number two, Since the meaning is shared, people will usually act on whatever decisions are made with conviction because they had a part in filling that shared pool of meaning where synergy begins. Until next time, this is The Leadership Podcast. Thanks for listening. Tune in every week as we continue learning and growing in faith, life and leadership and if this has been helpful to you subscribe and spread the word and i will talk to you next week